As we are so excited uh, for tonight, we got some work to do. And so, uh, like Pastor Rick said, um, if you're new to First Wednesdays, this is going to be uh, an expository preaching. Uh, and so, what that means is, like he said, we're going to we're going to move through a whole chapter of Romans. So, get your Bible out tonight. If you don't have your Bible, get your Bible app out tonight. If you don't have the Bible app, what are you doing with your life? Okay, so even Androids have the Bible app. Okay, so. As evil and satanic as they are, even they have the Bible app. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, so uh, we're going to Romans 14. And so we've been, we've been in Romans uh, for over a year now. And so um, we started January of 22 in Romans, and we've just been moving through. And so, um, we're, like we said, we're picking up in 14. Uh, in case you don't know, uh, Romans 1 through 11... Uh, is where we get into doctrine. Paul is working with the Roman, like with the Roman Christians. He's, he's working with them to help them understand sound doctrine. They don't have it. And so he builds doctrine, okay? And then he moves into a, like an application era, which is 12, 13, 14, and so on through the rest of the book. And so um, we're, we're back in the application realm, which isn't nearly as gut-wrenching as the doctrine realm. Um, but there's a lot to be said, okay? And so in Romans 14, what we're going to do is we're going we're to look at four key things in Romans 14. So if you're taking notes, you can write all four of these down out of the gate, okay? So let's talk about what Romans 14 does. First of all, Romans 14 establishes what weak and strong believers are. So there's weak believers and strong believers. In Romans 14, Paul makes a case uh, in this world what weak and strong believers are. All right, how do we categorize them? What, what do we look at whenever we're talking about them? Because the whole chapter is really talking about weak believers. All right, we need to know what that means. Um, otherwise, we're going to think, we may think the wrong thing about weak believers, right? So we're dealing with weak and strong believers. We're dealing with setting aside judgment between weak and strong believers, all right, and so you can just put setting aside judgment because we need to know what we're supposed to judge and not judge. How many of us have all heard, like, don't judge? Okay, so like we, we're familiar with that, but the Bible makes it clear we're supposed to judge. You will know them by their fruit. Well, that's a judgment. So how do I judge and how do I not judge, right? And so we're going to answer some of that tonight so we can create some clarity. Uh, the third thing is how to indulge with different preferences in the faith, right? So if I like something and Eli doesn't like something, which one of us is right and which one of us is wrong? Well, the, the reality is what we're going to find out is perhaps right and wrong is in how you deal with it, not what you believe. So we're going to look at that tonight. And then last but not least, uh, we're going to look at a warning about our desires and, and uh, ultimately what our job should be in the shadow of the Lord and how we should walk that out. Okay, so those are the big four things we're going to look at. We've got uh, not nearly enough time to do it, but we're going to try. And so um, shame on you, worship team, for being in the presence of the Lord so long. So I'm just, I'm totally kidding. I'm totally kidding. Um, all right, let's pray and we'll jump in. Father, we thank you. We thank you for your word. We thank you that it's living and it's breathing and it sharper than any two-edged sword. It cuts between bone and marrow. It's, uh, God, it is not something we just read. It is something that reads us. And I pray tonight that it would do what it always does. It would highlight in us the ways in which we are not completely like you so that we can reflect you better as believers. Uh, for those that are in here tonight that maybe aren't believers uh, or they're wavering in their faith 
or they're considering the faith and you've already started a work on their heart and we've yet to see it come to fruition, I just pray that you would complete it tonight, that we would see according to your word that life is found in these pages um, and that it would just reveal to us who you are. We thank you. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, let's jump in. Chapter 14, verse 1. As for the one who is weak, say weak, weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. One person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. All right, we're going to keep going. We're actually going to go all the way through nine, all right? One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days that are alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God, while the other who abstains, abstains in the honor of the Lord, and gives thanks to God. Now, I want you to see what Paul did there. He's creating clear differentiations between two people groups. Do we see that? Okay, so we got some that eat vegetables only. We got some that eat meat and drink wine. Okay, um, and so he references the ones that are vegetarians as weak. Don't read too much into that. All right, some of y'all are like, see, told you. All right, no, no, that's not, that's not the way you're approaching it. All right, although, no, I'm just kidding. No, I'm just kidding. That's a... All right, and then he talks about those who observe days. So what Paul is doing here so far is he's creating differentiation between people that think this way and people that think this way. Okay, so just we're all on the same page. Verse 7, for none of us lives to himself, and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end Christ died and lived again, and that he might be Lord both of the dead and of the living. All right, so the first thing we need to understand here is what is Paul talking about? Paul's talking about weak and strong believers. All right, so he references weak believers, he references strong believers. And so let's look at the four things that Paul tells us weak believers are categorized as. Okay, so first of all, it's important that we understand that just because they are weak doesn't mean they're not believers. Okay, so they are weak believers. So they are, in fact, believers. They do, in fact, have faith in Christ. And so out of the gate, all of us that grew up in environments where if you weren't strong enough or you didn't have enough faith, you may not be saved. He's saying, no, there is such thing as a weak, lacking doctrine, not fully understanding who God is, believer. All right. So you don't have to have all the revelation of God to be a believer in Jesus Christ. <laughs> Praise God. All right. How many of us had faith in Christ before we knew all of who God was? How many of us are admitting now, like, brother, I'm still figuring it out. Okay. So, all right. So like, here we are and Paul is creating differentiation. All right. So what identifies a weak person? Let's look at it. Verse two, Paul is celebrating them in their abstinence from meat and wine. And here's how he's doing it. He's doing it because they're from faith. That means 100% of their belief isn't about morality. It's about faith because we are believers, because we are in the faith. We don't think we should do these things. Okay, so the posture of their heart out of the gate for weak believers is that they're doing it in faith. So they're not doing it for themselves. They're not doing it for self-glorification. They believe this is the best way to serve God. 
Okay? So first of all, they're from faith, right? Next is that they're doing it in a God-exalting way. Not a self-exalting way. They're doing it in a God-exalting way, right? So the behavior of the weak person is not doing it from an unbelief standpoint, but from a belief standpoint. We see that in verse 6. If you want to go back, he says, The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God. While the other who abstains does it in what? Honor of the Lord. Okay, so what is he doing? He's giving glory to God. It's a God-exalting thing that this person is doing, okay? So I think it's interesting, like we, we need to clarify here for just a second, because the weakness that we're talking about isn't because he or she is sinful, but because they desire holiness. So their pursuit in abstaining from meat and wine is to be holy. Okay, so they think they're becoming more like God. They think they're pursuing God more holistically. They think they're giving, to God, giving God the glory more if they abstain from meat and wine. Okay, now there's a, there's a portion of this that we, don't, we just have to kind of make assumptions because we don't, there's no, we don't get book, chapter, and verse on why they think that. Okay, so as far as I'm concerned, they're just weird people. If you're a vegetarian in here, I'm sorry. Sorry, fried chicken's too good. Anyway, okay, so just kidding. I don't mean to be offensive. Uh, all right, so the important thing is, is that they believe this is the greatest, that this is a portion of the greatest pursuit of God they can have. So I want to make sure that we're clear on understanding. So, so it's from the faith. It's God-exalting. The next thing that's important about them as weak believers, because Paul is categorizing them as believers, is they do not believe that abstaining from meat and wine saves them. Okay, so they do not believe this is an element of justification. If I do this, then I can be saved. They don't believe that, all right? Now, God went out of his way, uh, in, I mean, Paul went out of his way in other books of the Bible that when he looked at people that said they wouldn't do these things because they wanted to be saved, he called them words we don't even utter in church, okay? So he called, uh, starting with heretics and liars, all right, and then worse. So he, he makes it a point to say people that believe they are saved by works and not by faith are animals and heretics. He does not do that here, which gives us a clarity to understand that what Paul is saying is they're believers. They don't believe that this is making them saved because they're not eating meat and wine. They're just not doing it. So they are, in fact, believers. And then the last thing, number four, as far as what identifies a weak person in this text um, is that they're honoring God. They see eating meat and drinking wine as unclean, right? And we see that in verse 14, just so you guys have reference. I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it's unclean. So he's referencing that. So they believe it's unclean, so they believe the best way they can honor God is to not do that. All right, so we've created, like, you understand what he's talking about with weak and strong Christians, right? So the question becomes, what makes them weak, when Paul is referencing these people and he's calling them weak, right, what makes them weak, right? And so the reality is what makes them weak is that they're wrong. Praise God. What makes them weak is that when they look at meat and vegetables, when they look at meat and when they look at wine, don't get caught up on the wine part, Baptists, all right? Just hang in there with me, okay? So when they, <laughs> when they look at the meat and when they look at the wine, right, what they're doing is they are not understanding completely the fact that all things are created to the glory of God. 
They lack an accurate doctrine in which all things are from him and through him and to him. Okay, so what they lack, they, they are still buying into an idea that there are things God has created that are not good, even though God looked at creation and said it was good. They are believing that there are still elements in this world that God is not in control of. They're believing there are still parts of matter that surrounds us that God cannot redeem. They've lost and do not yet buy into the reality that Jesus did not come to just redeem mankind. He came to redeem all things created to give him glory. They lack an accurate doctrine. Therefore, they are weak-minded, and weak meaning inaccurate or lacking. They are lacking in their doctrine, lacking in their mind the accuracy of who God actually is. So it's not that they're weak because they don't eat enough protein. Okay? I literally heard someone, teachers, like, they're eating vegetables, they're weak because they don't have enough protein. And I was like, brother, you couldn't have missed it more. It's not that they're weak in their body. It's not that they're feeble. It's not that they lack. No, no, no. They're weak in their doctrine. They're weak in their thinking. They're weak in their knowledge of the holiness, grandness of the God of all creation. And Jesus' ability that when he died on that cross, when he shed his blood, and he closed the door on sin and death, that he didn't just redeem man. He redeemed all things to himself. And so they lack that knowledge. Now you say, Brad, how do you know that? I'm glad you asked that question. 1 Corinthians 8, 6, and 7 says this. Paul addresses this in a different setting. He says, There is but one God, the Father, from whom all things came and for whom we live. And there is but one Lord Jesus Christ through whom all things came and through whom we live. But not everyone possesses this knowledge. Some people are still so accustomed to idols that when they eat sacrificial food, they think of it as having been sacrificed to a God. And since their conscience is weak, it is defiled. But food does not bring us near to God. We are no worse if we do not eat and no better if we do. So Paul deals with this and uses the same language with the Corinthian, in 1 Corinthians as he does in Romans, where he's explaining what it means. All things are created for the Lord, right? And so they are weak in their knowledge. And then we go to 1 Corinthians 10, 25 through 26. He says this, he says, eat anything sold in the meat market without raising questions of conscience. All right, so apparently food was a big deal. Right? A lot of people are like, can I eat this? Can I not eat this? I'm like, brother, just eat it. All right. So, and so was Paul. You're right. He says, without raising questions of conscience, for the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Which means God's dominion reigns over all the things that they believe to be clean or unclean. So Paul comes in, he's setting the stage of saying, this is what we need to understand. There are weak-minded Christians who do not understand accurate doctrine, and because they don't understand accurate doctrine, they believe that they could eat certain things and it would lack the glorification of God. They are not glorifying God properly if they eat these things. And what they're failing to realize is that you could even partake in these things, and if you enjoy them, your enjoyment could be a glorification to God rather than your abstinence. Because all things were created for the Lord, right? 
So he's explaining to us and kind of walking us through the difference between weak and strong believers. And so we need to have this understanding because I believe in church world, what we've done is we've taken people and we've categorized them as weak believers. And then we've interacted with them because we feel like they just aren't, they haven't quite got their character where it needs to be yet. They look at weak and strong believers and they go, there's obviously weak and strong believers. So if you're struggling with sexual sin, you're obviously a weak believer and we can't use you until God gets you where you need to be. It's like, that's what you got out of that. Right now, do we need to deal with those things? Of course. But is that what Romans 14 is talking about? No. Right. In the church world, if they don't look like us, talk like us, walk like us, dress like us. then we don't know if there's a home for them here or out there, and what are we doing? We're trying to separate, well, you're, 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 you haven't quite got it together just yet. You need to get it together, and then you can come back. And we refuse to be a church that separates based on class and income and all those things, right? Why? It's like, man, uh, we, A, if there is some character things that God needs to clean up, not me, Right, so if there are some things God is cleaning up in the individual heart, right, I will lead them. We can speak to that, which we're going to look at in just a second. But ultimately, we need God to do a change in the heart of men and women um, to lead them to repentance. And so we're going to pray and walk on the journey of that. But we as a church don't create weak and strong categories for people based on how they're walking out their faith. Let each man walk out his faith with fear and trembling. And so we have to go on that journey together. But how many of us have at least been in one church environment? You don't have to raise your hand and tell me which one. But you've, you know what it feels like to be in a church environment where you feel like they have set categories for what you can and cannot be or how God sees you or weak-minded and strong-minded according to things that the Bible doesn't lay out but tradition does. And so we have to, that's the importance of this. Listen, I can tell you right now, there's not a lot of pastors preaching on Romans 14 on a Sunday morning. It's not that fun. Okay, it's like, it's just not that fun. Until you start realizing what it means and you force 100 people into a room to sit down and listen to you talk for 45 minutes. Okay, then it can get fun. All right, let's keep going. Verse 10. What does he say? Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Right, so he's talking to the strong Christians, asking them why they're judging the weak Christians. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Are you... Why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us will give an account to God himself. Okay, so what is Paul saying? The strong Christians are not supposed to look at weak Christians and judge them. Now, this is where we deal with because we have a question. Like, do we judge? Do we not judge? And this is like a, this is the age-old question in the church world, Right. Um, and how many of us have interacted with people in the world and they're like, well, you just shouldn't judge, right? And so you have to, where, because the Bible does say that. So what do I do with that, right? But then the Bible also says that we should judge. And so I'm like, God, I just need, I need help figuring this out. And so he comes in and he speaks to it. So let's look at who do we not judge. All right. So I want to, I want to help you with who do we not judge. And we're going to create, we're actually going to create like a few different categories here to help you with this, uh, prayerfully in Jesus name. Okay. Um, so who do we not judge? Well, according to Romans 14, weak Christians are not to be judged by strong Christians. Now, again, what, how is that laid out? Weak Christians are those that lack an accurate doctrine of who God is. So 
those who have a firm faith and are walking strongly in it are not to judge those that have a weaker faith and haven't quite figured God all out yet. They have a proclamation of faith in Jesus. They just got some things they're trying to figure out. So that should not happen. But let's use the categories to understand who we should not judge. First of all, we should not judge those who are acting from faith, those who are saved. So I, as a believer, should not judge those who are acting from faith who are saved. That's the first category. All right, so if they check that box. Secondly, if they are exalting God with their life, I should not judge. Okay, so I should not look at them and judge them if they're exalting God with their life. Third, if they are operating in their convictions, even if their convictions don't match mine. Now, that sounds easy when we're talking about meat and potatoes, right? It gets harder when you're talking about politics. Are they in the faith? Are they living a life that's honoring and exalting God, right? So listen to me. Let me just help you out. They can vote differently than you. And if they're in the faith and then they're honoring God with their life, it is your responsibility to withhold your judgment on their belief system, even if it doesn't match yours. Say, you say, Brad, I don't agree with that. Not my problem. That's what Romans 14 says. If you want to disagree with God, you're going to, I don't know. You got to do something about that. And then lastly, they're honoring God with their life. They're honoring God. Okay. So uh, they're, they're exalting God, right? And exalting and honoring are separate. So exalting God means they are actively placing him on his throne. He's the king of all. I'm submitting to that. Honoring God is they're living with character that is honoring him and reflecting him well. All right. So there's an active and a passive way that we honor and exalt God. And so they're doing all those things. So Paul makes it clear here that we are not to judge other believers that are living a life in those categories according to their convictions. And check this out. Are you ready for this? If you didn't like the politics one, hang on. All right. You're not to judge them if they fall into those four categories, even if they're wrong. I don't like that. Because how many of y'all, people can be stupid. You know what I'm saying? Like, like so again, what is, let's bring Romans 14 into context. That's our job tonight, right? Let's look at it holistically. What did Paul say? They're weak because they're wrong, right? According to 1 Corinthians, they're weak because they're wrong. They lack accurate doctrine. God is bigger than a separation of vegetables, meat, and wine. So they're actually wrong. And Paul is saying, don't judge them even though they're wrong which means it's more your job to love your fellow brother and sister than it is to try to get them on your side. It's been real. We'll come back next month. No, I'm just kidding. kidding. All right, so there is a clear differentiation between how we are to handle unrighteousness that pushes back against the description in contrast to what we described, though. So so here's the other thing that we have to do. So, all right, so we're we're not supposed to judge them right, in, in, in that context, but then we are supposed to judge. So how do we do that, right? And so I want to break down, I want to give you three categories of people that you're, that, and how we judge them, okay? So let me just, I want to help you out, right? And, and I broke it into three categories that's easy to understand, and it's also language the Bible uses, all right? I broke it down into sheep, goats, and wolves, okay? So sheep is just fellow believers. So we're all sheep, 
right? And Jesus is a shepherd. That's easy to figure out, all right? We're all sheep. Goats are, are religious or unbelievers. Religious meaning um, they have an idea of God but lack the truth of who he actually is, okay? So uh, what is it, Second Timothy? They have a, a belief in God but lack the power they're in, um, I think is where it's at. So like, that's what we're talking about there. So we're dealing with unbelievers or the religious crowd, and then wolves are heretics, Okay, and let me just give you this right out the gate. We love wolves, we separate goats, and we, or we love sheep, we separate goats, and we kill wolves. Okay, you're like, that doesn't sound very loving. Oh, but it is. We love sheep, we separate goats, and we kill wolves. Now, kill is a metaphor, by the way. Okay, so... <laughs> Although, funny story, I don't have a lot of time for it, but I'm going to tell you, uh, there was a guy that came in one time, they were, it, was a, it was a whole like RV of groups of RVs, it was the craziest thing I've ever seen, and they wanted to hold like a prophetic thing in our building, and I immediately like red flags, like beep, 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 um, and one of them came to me, long story short, um, caught me as I was rounding the corner in the back of the building, which I was like, bro, what are you doing back here? Uh, and uh, he said, I need to talk to you. The Lord told me a message to give to you. And I said, you should be careful with that because we stone people that are wrong. <laughs> and he was like, <laughs> and I did not crack a smile. <laughs> I was like, we go Old Testament, brother. If you say thus saith the Lord, you better mean it around here. All right. So we've yet to walk that out. But uh, in Jesus' name, who knows? All right, so, but we are to love believers. We are to separate goats, but we are to identify and remove heretics, all right? And so um, let's, let's walk through that for just a second. Um, how, wh- how, where do we get this idea of wolves? Matthew 7, 15 through 20, watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. This is Jesus saying, By their fruit, you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. All right, Jesus is talking. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. Okay, so he's talking about heretics. He's talking about false prophets. And we treat false prophets like people who are trying to devour our people. And so I'm going to tell you right now, I will unapologetically remove anyone from this church who has a desire to move you as sheep in the wrong direction. So I, as an under-shepherd to the ultimate shepherd who is Christ, if someone comes in this building with a false doctrine, they will be talked to once and removed on the second one. I do not create space for thorn bushes to grow in our vineyard. You understand? And so we will, we, I will remove them. Okay. And not all of them are ill-intentioned, I, don't, I, I like to think, but at the end of the day, like, we're, we will have sound doctrine in this house, okay? Um, and so we, we make no room for it. So there's wolves, then there's goats, which is religious or non-believers, 1 Corinthians 5.12, for what I do with judging, or for what have I to do with judging outsiders? It is not those inside the church. Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? Now that gets weird. Because Paul's telling us we're actually supposed to judge the people inside the church, not the people outside the church. Well, that creates confusion because I thought we weren't judging each other. Well, there's more. All right. First of all, we don't judge non-believers according to Christian standards because they have not agreed to the faith. Okay, so 
so when we're in the world and your sinful friend is acting sinful, you shouldn't be like, oh my gosh. <laughs> That's what they do. Like I'm not, you guys have heard me say it, I'm not shocked when birds fly, fish swim, and sinners sin. That's what they do, okay? And if we're all honest, that element of sin in us keeps us kind of in that rotating camp. You know what I'm saying? Like, so I'm not shocked when the world becomes the world. So my, jo- my job isn't to judge the world according to the world standards when they're acting like the world. Now, do we identify that they are in the world? That's part of the gospel. So yes. So if God is moving on their hearts and we're bringing them the message of Jesus Christ, we have to identify that the things of their life that they're looking for and are consumed by sin is the thing that Jesus came to solve. And we're giving them hope, but we're not judging them for the sake of judgment's sake. We're judging them for the sake of hope. You understand? And so we don't judge non-believers according to the standard of righteousness and faith that they do not proclaim. But we also don't let them damage the fields either. Okay? So we're talking about goats, Right? You ever see uh, the the shepherd will separate goats from the sheep? Why? Because the goats damage the field, right? They eat all the grass and they crap on everything. Kind of sounds like religious people. They take everything and they crap on everything else. Therefore, we separate the goats from the sheep. Matthew 25, 31 through 33, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him. He will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right side and the goats on his left. And he goes on to describe, I'm not reading for the sake of time, he goes on to describe what it looks like. What does it look, who, how do you fall in one of those categories? Well, the sheep on his right are those that had faith in him and followed him. The ones on the left are either non-believers or religious people that Jesus said, I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was naked and you did not clothe me. All right, and so that's that category. So we, as a church, do the same thing. We have to separate the goats from the sheep. And then lastly, what is the sheep? Who are the sheep? 1 Corinthians 4, 5. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purpose, purposes of the heart. Then each one will receive his con- uh, condemnation from God. So, in 1 Corinthians 4, 5, this is a very powerful text because it gives us an understanding as to how we're supposed to interact with non-believers or with believers. Okay, so again, we judge wolves. Again, we separate goats. All right, so we move them out of the way, and we care for sheep. So we we judge our sheep. We judge our brothers and sisters, not in a judgment that declares guilty. We judge them in a way that brings them hope into innocence. We judge them in a way that helps lead them into a faithful doctrine, not in action. Let me say it again. We judge them in a way that leads them to faithful doctrine, not to action. Okay? Now, again, we're talking about people that fall into the same four categories we talked about earlier. All right? Now, why does this matter? I want to go back to 1 Corinthians 4, 5, because we need to unpack this just a little bit more. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then, say then, then each one will receive condemnation from God. 
So what is, what is Paul saying right there? Paul is saying that when you're interacting with brothers and sisters in the faith, when you are in the church, your job is not to assume anything about them. It's only to bring them into hope. Matter of fact, I love the way that John Bloom put this. He says, we must not judge the hidden purposes of the heart. Going back to 1 Corinthians 4, 5. We must not judge the hidden purposes of the heart of other Christians based on their decisions, actions, perspective, words, or personalities that concern us if those things themselves are not explicitly sinful. We must not assume sin if we suspect sin given how biased our suspicions can be. So 1 Corinthians 4, 5 says, the purposes of the heart are hidden in darkness and will not be revealed until the Lord comes. You know what that means? That means every assumption you make about a fellow believer, and if you are assuming they are in sin and they do not have an evidence of sin, your assumption puts you in sin. Every assumption about sin makes the person assuming more sinful than the one they're assuming about. That's 1 Corinthians 4, 5. You don't like it? So if you are assuming, you know what? I see so, man, I, I saw somebody at ABC the other day. ABC Fine Wine. Got to be an alcoholic. And then you go tell somebody else, you know, I saw so-and-so. Guess what happened? You're in sin. They're not. And if they are, if they are, 1 Corinthians 4 or 5 says that the purposes of the heart that are in darkness will only be coming into light when the Lord reveals himself. So our job as believers is to lead everyone that is also a believer in hope with sound doctrine. That's our job. That's our job. And if you go against that, you're wrong. Full stop. Our role as believers is to look at the fruit of Christians according to their fruit and according to their confessions, engage with them in a posture of righteousness, and to act contrary means it is sinful for us, not them. So, when he says we shouldn't look at people, we shouldn't judge them, well, that's kind of true. We have to know which category people fall in. So, do we judge heretics? Absolutely. All right? So, I'm, so, I'm trying not to drop names right now. Bill Johnson, Todd White, Kenneth Copeland, heretics. Okay, I had to get it off my chest. Sorry. All right. Sorry. I had to do it. Had to do it. So if you're on YouTube with them, skip that channel. Send an email to Pastor Justin at, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> we'll get you a list of people you could listen to. Uh, all right, sorry. Not sorry. Remove wolves. All right. Lastly, we'll give you these last two things. We have to move through the rest of the chapter. How to indulge with different preferences in the faith. God, now I opened a can of worms, didn't I? Uh, okay, one thing that I just need to say. Um, Hold on, I got to get it all together. I shouldn't have done that. Maybe I should have, I don't know. But um, you need to understand the gravity 
of digesting anti-gospel doctrine. Because it may feel good ultimately destroy you. And you need to understand that. And so we joke and we laugh. And a lot of people you hear laughing, of all, of most of them are pipeline students or staff. So I've already beat them over the head with anti-heretic movement. But um, for those of you that are like, I didn't know that person was in that category. Um, what I would tell you is if you are genuinely concerned about people that you're studying and listening to and you want to make sure, like genuinely send us an email to the website and we will help move you into sound doctrine and we will say yes to that person or no to that person. Okay, so all jokes aside, we do want to lead you in that. Um, you know, uh, the unfortunate thing is some of the, the, some of the really good worship music has really bad doctrine behind it. Um, and so people go look up worship songs, and then that YouTube playlist moves into their pastor preaching, and you don't think that because their worship sounds good, their pastor's a heretic. And so we have, to, we have to combat that in our lives and in this world a little bit, and so that's why. Okay, sorry. All right. Thank you. All right. Okay. Three and four, quickly, how to indulge with different preferences in the faith. All right. Um, and so uh, verses 13 through 19, therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer. Again, but who is he talking about not passing judgment on? The people in those four categories, right? The weak Christians in this particular passage. But we've identified that the weak Christians are still Christians that are in the faith, exalting God, right? Uh, have sound doctrine of justification, and they are honoring God with their lives. So do not judge, therefore, let us not pass judgment on them any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. I know, and I am persuaded in the Lord Jesus, that nothing is unclean in itself. But it is unclean for anyone who thinks it's unclean. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love by what you eat. Do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. So do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. And that's what we get back to. We're supposed to lead them in doctrine to hope. Okay, mutual upbuilding. And so what are we dealing with in verses 13 through 19? You are to lay down your preferences if it offends your brother, and he lacks enlightenment. And so one of the things Paul is saying here um, is if you, like, this is a, probably the easiest example of this is um, if you are interacting with a fellow believer, and they, um, for personal conviction's sake or personal testimony's sake, do not have alcohol in their life. Just because you can look at this text and go, well, alcohol doesn't disqualify me so I can have it. If it ruins their testimony and it's hard for them to be around, you as a brother have a responsibility to not let it be in your life when you're with them. Okay, so you have a responsibility to help them uphold the righteousness for mutual upbuilding. Does that make sense? Um, and so if, if you only eat vegetables and I eat meat and you're hanging out with me, just kidding. All right, that part's different. That's not the same. So <laughs> we'll go get tacos or something. All right, so no, in all seriousness, though, that is what we're talking about. So what Paul is saying is if you can do something but they're not doing it, then you need, to, you need to honor their limitations, even if they're wrong, okay? Because they have to be moved into doctrine, right? We have to lead them in hope for mutual upbuilding. 
1 Corinthians 10.23, Paul even kind of references in 1 Corinthians this, right? He says, I have the right to do anything. You say, but not everything is beneficial. So what is Paul saying? He's saying all those things that used to disqualify us in the Jewish laws, he said, I have the right. I I can do anything because Jesus made it clear already. It's not what goes into a person that defiles them, but what comes out of them. So he's saying, I can, so, like, so if you have a glass of wine, all of hell is not shaking, right? And all of heaven's not frozen and, you know, whatever. Like, that's not, that's not what the Bible says. It's not what goes into you, defiles you. So we're not, we don't create evil out of things that God actually created for his glory, all right? Now, we'll go, we can go into things and do not get drunk and strong drink and all that stuff. And yes and amen, that's all biblical, all right? So don't hear what I'm not saying. What I am saying is if you can do something in your life, as a person in those four categories, and you do not have conviction about it, in other words, the Holy Spirit is not saying, hey, you need to stop that. You can do that with no conviction, but you are with a brother or a sister who has a conviction against those things. It is your responsibility as a strong believer to put it down in their presence. Okay? Does it have to make sense to you? Nope. Do you have to agree with it? Nope. Do you have to like it? Nope. Can you not text them back next time they want to go to dinner? Yep. <laughs> Although I don't know if that's loving. Anyway, okay, so Matthew Henry says this, It is certain that nothing is more threatening nor more often fatal to Christian societies than the contentions and division of their members. By these wounds, the life and soul of true religion expire. In other words, we, we just we got to love each other better. And your preferences can be your preferences. But at the end of the day, we lay our preferences down for a greater purpose. That's one of the big things at TC. It's like, I, you know, we've kind of helped move people. I know a lot of you maybe are kind of like you're kind of new to this environment and Transformation Church and all those things. But like, I, like one of the things we do constantly around here is like we wreck people's preferences. Because it's not about our preference. It's about our purpose. Right now, if your preference is every single thing that we do, then like you should be right at home here, okay? But like most people would prefer something be different. I wish the lights were a little brighter. I wish they were a little darker. I wish the music was a little louder. I wish it was a little softer, right? I wish there were less beards around here. I wish there was more beards around here, right? I'm mean, like you're just what you know like. I wish people wore dress shoes and not sneakers. Sorry, get over it. Like I don't you know like people have preferences and I get it. It's fine. You can, you can have your preference, right? But we'll sacrifice our preference for the greater purpose. Right? And so I love the fact that someone can walk in here and they can find someone that looks like them. Right? So, it's, it's, so we have uh, our purpose and we're given to our purpose. So much so that I've told, you know, I, I've jokingly said, like, if someone falls in love with a particular seat in this auditorium, I will take it out. Like, that seat will not be there. Like, if, like I'm telling you right now, like, if, if, if Nick was like, dude, that's my seat right there. There will be a seat missing from that spot. Like, I kid you not. I'll be like, sorry, brother. You know what I mean? You fell more in love with seat than you did with Jesus. I'm getting rid of it. Right? So, now Nick would never do that. Right? Yeah. No, you can't take it home either. All right. So, you're going to have an idol in your house? No, I'm just kidding. All right. So, but the reality is this, that, uh, and I think Matthew Henry is right. I want to read that quote again because I want you you to let it get into your spirit for a second and realize the gravity of letting things come between us as brothers and sisters that are just really ridiculous. I want to read this quote to you again. It is certain that nothing, say nothing, is more threatening nor more fatal to Christian societies 
than the contentions and divisions of their members. In other words, Matthew Henry is saying that who gets voted into the presidency is not nearly as fatal to the church as brothers and sisters inside the church not being able to agree to love each other despite who was voted in. That's, that's, what, that's what Matthew Henry is saying. And so we have to come to grips with that. He says, by these wounds, talking about the conflict and the strife, the life and soul of true religion, which is a good thing in his context, it expired. The life of the gospel is robbed from itself when the people don't love each other despite having differences of opinions. That's why Jesus was talking to disciples. He said, how will they know that you're my disciples but by your love for one another, right? Not by how good you can articulate your favorite book, but like that you love one another, right? And then we go to verses 20 through 23. And this is just kind of a warning. And uh, Paul writes, he says, Do not for the sake of food destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed clean, but it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. That goes back to what we were talking about earlier, right? It is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. The faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. And by the way, that's not like your faith or like a proclamation. So it's not like, if you're a Christian, keep it between you and God. <laughs> it's, like, it's like the faith you have in these other attributes that are connected to you. So if, if your faith leads you to just eating vegetables, like, just let that be between you and God. You don't have to like try to push that on to people. Just let, it, you know, let that component of your faith be between you and the Lord, right? So he goes on to say, the faith that you have, oh, the faith you have, blessed is the one, uh, back in 22, blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. But whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats because the eating is not from the faith. For whatever does not proceed from faith, that is sin. So in other words, whatever is not connected to your, your faith in Christ, those things are sin. So you can have a difference of opinion, be wrong, be struggling with something, and if you're doing it within the context of your faith in Jesus Christ, you're actually okay. But if you're disconnecting from the faith because someone does something you don't like, you're in sin, even if you have a lot of righteous soapboxes you can stand on. Right? But there's something that he says in verse 22, and I just want to point it out, and then we'll pray. He says, he essentially says this, if you can't agree, right? So he, he, Paul's making a case for unity. Right? So find a place of agreement here. Right? Lead to mutual upbuilding. Try to introduce sound doctrine with hope. So all those things are what we're trying to do here. And in verse 22, he makes it clear. He says, if you can't agree. Everybody say if. So if at the end of the day, you're looking across whatever aisle of disagreement that you have, and you cannot agree. He says, act according to your convictions and faith so that you may make it impossible to pass judgment against yourself. In other words, if I'm standing here and you're standing there and we just can't see eye to eye, as long as you fall into those four categories, faith in Christ and honoring the Lord and all that, as long as you fall into those four categories, if we can't agree, you know what he says? Even if you're wrong, hold to that conviction so that you won't stand before God and not have held what you believe to be righteousness in yourself. That's what he says. So what do we do? We have to honor that. 
How do we love one another? Mutual upbuilding. Do we judge each other? We judge each other only in the way to, for mutual upbuilding. So if my boy Jawan over there is wilding out, <clears throat> as he tends to do. I'm just kidding. Just kidding. Uh, if, he, if, if, you know, if I see him moving into a pattern where I'm going, hey, man, that doesn't look like you're honoring God. I'm going to speak to that because I need to bring him gracefully back into the four areas. If, he, if, he, if a component of his life is no longer exalting the Lord, he's, his character is flawed, I'm going to speak to that, hey, man, that's, that's not how we talk to our wife. That's not how we talk, well, soon to be, right? In Jesus' name. So uh, <laughs> that's, that's not how we talk to, or that's not how we do, like, what are we doing? We're bringing them back. Hey, I'm not, I'm not judging you because you're, I'm saying you're like doing all this. I'm, I need to bring you back. Mutual upbuilding. Hey, we're bringing you back. Do we judge non-believers? We only judge them according to the fact that they impact the house. So if they post something stupid on Facebook, let them. It's not your job to get in the comment section. Well, you know, Paul says, like, who's Paul? Right? They don't care. So we need to, we need to do that. And then, obviously, we judge the crap out of heretics. All right, so, um, so let's pray. And I know we, we, we've hit 8 o'clock, and so we're going to get ready to go. But I, I do want to take just a few moments um, for a moment of reflection and, and just kind of assess, man, what are the components of our hearts um, that maybe we've, we've failed at this? Um, have we tried to hold other believers to a judgment standard that's not our job? Right? Uh, are we, uh, have we engaged in behavior that's causing others, our other brothers and sisters in the faith to stumble just so we could say we had the right to because it's not sinful? You know, just any of those things. And maybe anything else that we, we talked about here tonight um, that God's word would read us as much as we read it and change us. Right? That's our goal. And so, uh, let's take just two or three minutes. Um, and here's a, you know, the question from Sunday. God, what are you speaking to me right now? What am I going to do about it? So let's just take a minute, reflect, and then we'll pray and we'll dismiss.